We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. The Christ-conscious believer today would be part 15. Part 15. It's been quite a journey. Um, literally life-transforming journey for, for those of us who are paying close attention and with a view to practicing what it is that we're learning. I've, I've taught our local church that your disposition at the point of receiving a word to a large extent determines what level of transaction you would do with that word. And it also determines what, of course, the level of transaction determines the level of benefit, right? The level of macarios that you will get out of a word. There's somebody else, there's somebody that walks up to a pastor, their pastor, their, their under-shepherd and says, my tummy hurts. And the pastor says, peace. And as far as that person is concerned, that's all the word they need. And there's somebody else who um, will say peace. And the person will be like, yes, thank you, sir, but can you pray for me? And there's somebody else that you will actually go ahead and even pray for them. And it's not enough because the levels of convictions differ. Levels of subscription differ. How you even receive the messenger um, determines what you make of the message. And what you make of the message determines of what benefit to you the message is. Jesus is going about his business, there for everybody. And people come to him from an important man in society, most likely a senator equivalent in his day among the Jews by the name of Jairus. And it says that Jairus' daughter is sick. She wasn't dead. She is sick. And it said for Jesus to come and pray for her that he might heal her. That's what happens. Mark the story. And Jesus, of course, in his usual, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what he says. He says, let's go. And he starts to go there. Um, but in that same narrative, in that same moment, there was another woman who had had an issue of blood, incessant menstrual bleeding for 12 years. And she just says to herself, now picture that, 12 years, 12 times 12, that's 144 months of bleeding every day, nonstop. That's what an issue of blood means. Every day for 12 years. She had gone to every medical doctor, every physician in her day, and there was nothing that could be done for her. Nothing. Um, and she, she, she sees that Jesus is going by. And she says to herself, that if I may but touch the helm of his garment, I'll be made whole. Now, Jairus was of standing in society to say, well, you know what? I can host Jesus in my palatable mansion. And he'll pray for my sick daughter and she'll be fine. But somebody else went, you know, I don't even need him to pray for me. I just need to touch whatever connects me to him. And I'm going to be fine. And she touched a, a garment that had no oil, that had no virtue, that had no power of itself. And that's why I must be careful to not spiritualize such things or make doctrines out of them. Christ is not intended for doctrines to be made out of that because he said virtue left me. It was the, 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 the measure of faith, the measure of demand she placed on Jesus as signified or as symbolized by her saying, if I can touch the helm of his garment. That's what did the work for her, not anything in the garment of Jesus. 
lest you go and sit on the chair that your geo sat on or go and carry the face tower that he carried and be dragging for his shirt because you want something as a point of contact. How, why are you looking for a point of contact when you host the king of kings in your heart? Think about it for a minute. You host him, he's in you. In, in, in. He lives in you, he dwells in you. You carry him, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. What point of contact are you looking for? To contact who? I heard a song this afternoon and it, 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 it gave me goose pimples, you know. It made you feel like that psychedelic, you know, cry and worship the Lord. But I thought about the words and the Lord rebuked me. I'm, I'm chasing after you till I, something along those lines until I find you. I'm like, finding him where? Just look within. The kingdom is within you. We're chasing after him because we see him, not because we're trying to find him. You hear what I'm saying? We are following him. Because we can see him leading us. Not because we're looking for him. But because we see him. He is leading. And we are chasing after him. Because last, last, the leader is faster than the follower. So, you, so the sheep are chasing after the shepherd. They are seeing. Because he's directing them in the way. He's guiding them safely in the way. And as he leads, we are following. We're chasing after him. Until we are totally lost in him. Such that when he moves, we have moved in him. That's the chase for the believer. I don't know who this word is for. That's the chase for the believer. That every day we are conforming, every day we are aligning, every day we are reshaping, every day we are transforming, every day we are renewing to his mind until the day that you are up, they will have to dissect Jesus, the Christ, to find you. You'll be so raptured in him and so lost in him that no one can tell. That's my own dream. That's my, that's my, that's my chase. That's the race that Paul said he was running. It's not running to apprehend what how did Paul put it he said I myself I'm trying I'm wanting to apprehend that that has apprehended me I'm trying to grow up into the fullness of what has caught a hold of me we don't chase him to find him we chase him because we see him but we see but we see Jesus Hebrews 2 and 9 looking unto Jesus Hebrews 12 and 2 we see him we're looking after at him we're holding as in a glass, right? With unveiled faces, 2 and 13 of, 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 3 and 13 of 2 Corinthians. The image of the Lord and are therefore being transformed into the same image as by the Spirit of God. We see him. We see him. And every day our sight is sharpening. Every day our comprehension is widening. Every day our illumination is brightening. Every day our epignosis is heightening. Because we see him and we're chasing after him. We're chasing after him because we see him. Not because it's some silhouette that we're trying to get a hold of. We see him. We see him. Can somebody say we see him? We see him. We're not trying to find him. We're not trying to find him. We see him. He's in us. He's tabernacled in us. He's, he dwells in us. You don't need to go to a building to find him. You don't need to go to a gathering to find him. No. He shows up in the gathering because you showed up. You brought him to the place. So you leave the place. His indwelling presence leaves the place. All that is left there is the omni-presence of God. The, the, the dimension of God's presence that everything exists or everything actually not just exists in, but everything subsists in. Everything depends on that to survive, to exist. Does that make sense? Everything exists, but not just exists, everything subsists in his omnipresence. In other words, God's presence, his omnipresence is the saturation of creation. His omnipresence is the saturation. That's what saturates creation. That's what gives life to creation. The fact that everything happens in him. Everything happened in him. And that's why he can say in Revelation 20 and going into 21, it says, a new heaven and a new earth pass away. 
So if God is in heaven, if God dwells in heaven, where is he then when heaven is passing away? Where is he going to be? Where is his address when he's passing heaven away? Where is he going to be when earth is passing away? That's his omnipresence. Otherwise, his indwelling presence, his manifest presence is happening because I'm there. And that's it. And he's in you. I'm not chasing to him, chasing him to find him. Lord, show me you. He's revealed. You. The prayer is you. See him. You know, especially as believers or unfortunately, I, like, I'm, I'm, I have to add, as, as, as people of the black race, a lot of our, our disposition towards God and his word is colored by our sense of ethnicity. Because of how impoverished we are, we do not want to take responsibility for what goes wrong. So we abdicate the responsibility to either a bad or evil spirit, or we abdicate the performance to a higher deity. So God, come through God. Show, your, show me some more of you. God, I want more of you. That's not the prayer of a believer. The prayer of a believer is that you, you yourself, you the believer should see more of him. Not him to show you more of. He cannot show you any more than Christ. God cannot show you any more than Christ. He showed you Christ. Did you see him? There's no, if you missed Christ, God has nothing else to offer you. If you miss Christ, if you miss this, the scene, the, the, the knowledge, the, the, the focus on Christ, God has nothing else to offer. That's why he says in Romans 8 that if, if he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up. That God, Christ is the best God can do. Christ is the best God can do. So he said, show me more of you. And he tells you, look at my son. Look at the Christ. That's the image. That's me. That's the brightness of my glory. That's the express and therefore expressed image of my person. You're wanting to see me. Christ is what I look like. That's what God says to us. Christ is what I look like. Christ is who I look like. Christ is how I talk. Christ is how I think. Christ is how I behave. Christ is how I act. Christ is how I roll. Christ is how I live. Christ is how I forgive. Christ is how I love. Christ is how I give. Christ is how I instruct. Christ is how I conduct myself. Father, whatever you are praying to God to teach you has been revealed and therefore is displayed in Christ. And all you need to do, to do is see him on display. And in seeing him and focusing intently on him long enough, you begin to be Christ on display. That's the journey of the believer. Or was I saying your disposition to receiving God's word? Your, your, dis, your disposition to receiving even the messenger determines how you receive the message. And sometimes you can get familiar with the messenger. You can get familiar with the word. You can, get, you can feel like I've, I've heard this a few times. Yeah, let other people hear it. You, you, know, you know that feeling? Let other people benefit of, of it. And then when, when the scores are, are given, you find that you, you rank very low. You rank very poorly in your ability to Put the word to use in your mastery of the word that you have come into the knowledge of and therefore your results are few. And that's what's going to happen to us when he comes because he says that each one will, be given, will give account of the things that he did in the body. He tells the Corinthian church, the things you did in the body, the things you did in the flesh, you give account. And you'll get reward according to account. 
when Jesus was saying in Revelation, behold, I come quickly, Maranatha, and, and my reward is with me, he says, to give unto every man according as he has worked. He's talking to believers. It's not about heaven and earth. He's talking about reward. On account of what you did, on account of the engagement that you did with God's word. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, so we're dealing with that. All right. I was saying, let me just finish that. And then, and then of course, she touches him of his garment and she gets healed. And she's gone. She gets healed. In the same moment that she draws virtue and gets healed, in the same moment, the girl, the sick girl dies. And they come to him and say, Master, don't worry. She's dead. <laughs> and Jesus still goes, of course, being the resurrection and the life. You see another narrative where, they, they, again, they send to him and the Roman centurion comes to him and says, my servant is sick. And he stops there. He didn't ask anything of Jesus. Jesus himself, being the compassionate, loving father that he is, says, I will come and heal him. Imagine Jesus willing to travel to go and heal the servant of a, son, of a Gentile. The servant of a Gentile. That was also a type of, and if you check most of the people that God healed, that Jesus healed, they were Gentiles. Showing that this is the, this is the thing, it, it will get to these people. Get to these people. The Syrophoenician woman whose, whose child was healed, Gentile. The guy across the lake, lake Gennesareth, you know, in Decapolis, Gentile. The guy out of whom legions of demons were cast out, Gentile. Roman centurion, Gentile. And the guy, Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm coming to, I'm coming to, uh, uh, to, to heal your servant. And the guy says, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't, you don't need to come. Isn't that what he said? He said, no, I'm a military man. I understand authority, you know. As a centurion, a centurion is the, the, um, the, the Roman equivalent of a battalion. Battalions are usually commanded by, if I remember correctly, a lieutenant. Yeah, either a lieutenant or a second lieutenant um, um, has authority over a battalion of 100 to 200 soldiers. Right? Sometimes a captain, but usually a, a lieutenant or a second lieutenant. So a Roman centurion is, a, is equivalent of a lieutenant, one in charge of 100 soldiers. So he says, I am a man of authority because that means he's a commissioned officer. Does that make sense? There's a commissioned officer and then there is a non-commissioned officer in the military. So he says, I'm a commissioned officer, but I also have seniors over me. He says, I say to one, he goes. And he goes, I say to one to come. And he comes. In the same vein, therefore, one says to me, go. And I go. Make sense? He understood divine authority. And one says to me, go, I go. So, so I understand authority enough to know that you don't need to come. I understand authority enough to know that this, whatever is plaguing my servant is a junior officer to you. Yeah. Are you following me? Yes, so I know that by virtue of the authority value chain, if you speak a word, those non-commissioned officers have no option but to go if you say they should go. So don't bother coming to my house. Don't come in under my roof. And what did Jesus say? I've, man, I have not found such faith in all Israel. And Jesus started to speak. And you know what? If you read the story, you'll find that Jesus did not speak anything about healing. He actually leaves the centurion and starts to speak about other matters concerning the kingdom. Because all the guy said was, just speak. let these people, let these demons hear you speaking. Yeah. They will take off. Yeah. Not let them hear you speaking about healing. No, just let the word be speaking. The word by which the walls were framed. Are you following? He's the word. Let the word start to utter. These guys will tremble and leave. So all I need you to do, sir, please, is speak. He didn't say speak healing. Yes, sir. 
He didn't say speak deliverance. He said speak. So Jesus starts to speak. And the Bible says, and the servant was healed that same hour. There's no exact time, but in the speaking narrative of Jesus, the servant got his healing. Tormenting spirits understood that, man, the word is being uttered. <laughs> and he took off. So your expectation determines your reception. The word comes out. It's a blanket word. It comes out over everybody. It comes out to everybody. But your disposition determines how you receive it. And how you receive it determines what you do with it. Hallelujah. Praise God. So yeah, so we've, we've been on this for 14, 14 parts. This is our 15th part. We're looking at the Christ-conscious believer. We talked about, we began to look at the hallmarks of the Christ-conscious believer. All these are on, um, on our Podbean website. So all our audio teachings in full are available there. The basiliacommission.podbean.com. I won't spend too much time running through all of that, but we began to look at how the Christ-conscious believer, number one, is grateful for the cross, right? Is grateful for the cross. And number two, the Christ-conscious believer understands the twofold significance of the resurrection. And three, he acknowledges that he has no part to play in that salvation plan. And number four, the Christ-conscious believer is mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be very systematic, as systematic as possible with it. And number five, the Christ-conscious believer appropriates the rights, the benefits, and the responsibilities that come with sonship. Number six, the Christ-conscious believer walks in his royal priesthood status without Apology. Seven, the Christ-conscious believer values and submits to discipleship because there's no spiritual maturity in the absence of discipleship. Number eight, which is what we have been on for four weeks now. Number eight is that the Christ-conscious believer is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. The Christ-conscious believer is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. And we began, to, we started on this point, point number eight. This is our fourth week on point number eight. All right, this is our fourth week on point number eight. We established what the word of God is, who the word of God is, why the word of God is what it is, um, because it's God's will, it's God's counsel and God's essence, right? As collectively captured in the spirit-inspired writings of the Bible that together reveal Christ in the hearts and minds of the readers and hearers, right? And when we went on to explain that the outcome of that is that Christ is formed in them, right? The outcome of, we said, receiving, understanding, and applying God's word is that Christ is formed in the believer because the word of God is Christ. As you see what I just showed you about the, the Roman centurion, he said, just speak. Just speak. That's what you do. Just speak. So most times we're looking for God to do. My God, I don't know. We're looking for God to do something when really all we should be doing is to be inclined to what he says. Because his doing is in his saying. Huh. Do you understand what I just said? God's doing is contained in his saying. Because he's the word. He's the word. When he speaks, his word is not apart from himself. When he speaks a word, he happens. He's, he speaks himself into whatever instance, whatever circumstance that the word is discharged upon. It's, it's, it's a deposit of the God kind. His word is himself. He cannot be divorced from his word. So God's doing is contained and expressed in his saying. And God said, let there be. And as God said, Christ happened upon an otherwise bland creation. 
Christ happened upon an otherwise blank canvas. And as soon as God said, let there be, stuff began to happen. Stuff happens because he said, not because he did. His doing is contained and therefore expressed in his saying. So a lot of times we're looking for the hand of God when you should be looking to hear the word of God. The word of God, what has he said? And once you latch on to what he has said, that's it. Once you latch on to what he has said, that's what it is. The word of God is given for our obedience to it. Is given for our obedience. Then we took time crucially to explain the word blessing, right? The word eulogio as opposed to the word makarios. The eulogio that is Christ that comes upon everyone who believes and the makarios which are the benefits that accrue to you that make you enviable, the favor you enjoy from God that is directly proportional to the level of your obedience to God's word. And this is what sets one believer apart from the other, we took time to answer that question, right? Because a lot of believers struggle. If I'm born again, why is this not happening for me? Why is this person enjoying that and I'm not enjoying that? Why is this person getting that and I'm not getting that? And, and the answer is in your level of subscription to the totality of God's word rightly divided. Because you can be praying some prayers to which you will never get answers. And you can be praying those prayers honestly. <laughs> but they're not the mind of the Father. Why is it that, you, for instance, you pray a prayer and say, God, I've been asking you to kill my neighbor for six years. That has been tormenting me. Why is my neighbor still alive? You can be sincere with your prayer and get no result because you are praying amiss. Because what you are praying is not the mind of the Father. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the gospel that God was in Christ. That's the ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. God is not going to kill somebody that his son died to save. So a lot of killings that have happened by New Testament believers attributed to God. God has nothing to do with it. It was either nature or the devil. You understand? It was like nature had its course, time had its course, or the devil, familiar spirit, stepped in and answered a prayer that you now gave glory to God for answering. Be careful the next time you testify that God killed somebody. I saw one recently online on Facebook in this city, my city. And they woke up and realized that there was one that was dragging one land with them. And, da, 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 and they prayed, give a dangerous seed. The Lord said, give a seed, give a seed, give a seed. And they woke up the morning, the following morning to hear that the the guy was dead. And I've said over and over, the God that has to kill somebody first to deliver you, it's a very weak God. If that's the kind of God you serve, please, I strongly recommend that you change God. Upgrade God to the God who is Lord of hosts. And all he does is speak a word. And you know that I'm delivered from evil men. That I'm delivered from the kingdom of darkness. I'm qualified to be partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I'm a son of God. And so I'm guarded by heaven. I'm led by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. The word is given. And that's what differentiates our obedience. The levels of makarios. Levels of makarios to God's word. Everybody, everybody's growing in that area. Everybody's growing in that area. So we began to go into the word of God is for application. And we said a believer yielded to God's word understands that with this rightly divided word, there can be no mixture. There can be no mixture. There can be no mixture. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 through 3. God in various times in various ways. Let's see that. Hebrews chapter 1 and 1. The Passion Translation. Hebrews 1 and 1. Throughout our history, our history. History is never now. 
history is yesterday. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets. He has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways throughout our history. The revelation he gave them, look at this crucially, the revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. Verse 2, but to us, somebody say to us, living in these last days, God now, can you see the emphasis? God now speaks to us openly, not codedly. Openly, in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, the word God created the panorama of all things and all time. Three, the son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. His mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. Throughout history, he spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. Now, 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 right now, he speaks to us. And then what he had was fragments of truth. They never had, nobody could boast of having complete revelation. Nobody could boast of having a complete grasp of the nature of God. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of the Son. He has spoken to us through his Son, Jesus. Jesus is the language of the Father in this day. You hear what I said? Not the law, not the prophets. Jesus is the language of the Father. He's the voice of God in this present age. Hallelujah. There can be no mixture. We saw in Matthew 17, right, on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus showed up and Elijah and Moses showed up on either side of him. Elijah representing the prophets and Moses representing the law, you know, and in the midst of this, we see the distinguishing. God speaks and then they hear and he says, this is my beloved son. This, hear ye him. So God is speaking expressly through the son. God is speaking expressly through the Son because the Son is a new dispensation, right? Jesus lifted up the cup at the Lord's Supper and he says, this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. The cup of the New Testament in my blood. The cup of the New Testament in my blood. He changed the, 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 the dispensations. In, in Hebrews 10 and 9, I believe it is. Hebrews 10 and 9, you see that statement. Very crucial statement. Yes. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He takes away the first that he might establish the second. Let's see how the TPT puts this. Hebrews 10 and 9 in the TPT and, and then he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with a new covenant. That's TPT. That wasn't my word. Go back again from the second half of that verse. Yeah, next. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, not covers sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with the new covenant. Keep going, next verse. 
by God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. Go back to Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 and verse 7. I'll, I'll read verse 7. Yeah, well, we will stay there. Hebrews 8 and 7. Hebrews 8 and 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second one to replace it. No one would have needed a second one to replace it. But God revealed the defect. Can you see this? God revealed the defect and limitation of the first when he said to his people, look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. So when God was speaking in Ezekiel, speaking in Deuteronomy, speaking in Jeremiah, he was referring to Jesus because Jesus is the actual covenant in the heart of the Father. Nine, it will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers when I led them by my hand out of Egypt. For they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I rejected them, says the Lord. Here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I, I, God, will embed my laws within their thoughts and fasten them unto their hearts. I will be their loyal God and they will be my loyal people. Keep going. And the result of this will be that everyone, this is quoting Jeremiah 31, which is one of our, our, our key anchor scriptures as a ministry. The result of this will be that everyone will know me as Lord. There will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you should know the Lord Jehovah since everyone will know me inwardly from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them and will forgive their evil deeds and remember again their sins. 13. This proves, Hebrews 8.13 in the Passion Translation, this proves that by establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete, ready to expire and about to disappear. And by now, absolutely, totally disappeared. Yes. There's no mixture, people. Don't let anybody bamboozle you with esoteric theology, bamboozle you with philosophy, the traditions of men in their grasp of knowledge outside the understanding and revelation of God as expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. It's disappeared. There's no mixture. Scripture is very clear. Hallelujah. The cross changed the dispensations. The cross changed the dispensation. One of the biggest errors is the inability of the church to understand that the cross changed everything. Yeah. The cross shut down one dispensation. And it breaks my heart when I see people that quote scriptures that they don't understand. They don't even know where it is in the Bible. This is what happens when you don't have a good Bible teacher. Bible says that you should walk on your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, show me where it is. <laughs> Most of them don't know where it is. And they want to argue with you. The Bible says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. No, no, no. But the Bible says Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. One, you don't even know where it is in scripture. Two, you don't know what abolish means. And three, you don't know what fulfill means. Because if he fulfills the law, what should the law be doing in force? If you have an obligation of something and you have met your obligation of something, why, why is the, you, you're paying for a car, you, you have a layaway, you know, or a phone, 
you go to pay for 20,000, said I will come by the phone, is 50,000. And then you pay another 10,000, another 2,000, another, you know, and some of us know exactly how that thing works. And then you finish paying. And you say, no, keep it still. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Just, I don't, if I take it from you, it's, it's now look a bit awkward, like your store will be empty, you know? You will not, so just hold it first. And I know I've paid in full, but, you know, is there a way whereby I can have it and you still have it? Doesn't that sound stupid? I've, I've paid. You said this thing is 600,000. I've paid 600. If I give you extra 2,000 for, for pure water, and, and, you, and I'm like, okay, it's time to take my goods. And you're like, no, no. If I take the goods, then you'll not make it look like I've removed things from your shop. You know, and then your shop will now look empty. But I, it's, it's, it's also important to me to ensure that even though I want to do my business, it's also important to me to ensure that your, your shop also looks like it has goods to sell because it will not make you look like there's no demand on you anymore. You have nothing else to sell if I took what I've paid for. So let me, let me leave. Okay, okay, I paid 600,000, right? Okay, let me just take half. Let me take 300,000 naira worth of good, goods and just leave 300,000 with you just so that we can, you know, help each other, scratch my back, I scratch your... You can see how stupid it sounds. So once an obligation is fulfilled, the person who has fulfilled the obligation cashes out and therefore abolishes the obligation. And that's what Jesus did with the law. He met the requirements of the law and that's why he could write it having cancelled. Colossians chapter 2. That's what he means. Having cancelled the handwriting of requirements. So as he, was, as he was meeting the obligation, he was deleting it. Six hundred and twenty-three of them. As he was meeting it, he was deleting it. As he was meeting it, he was deleting it. As he was meeting, it, he was deleting it. And meeting and deleting until you look at the board that contains the ordinances that were contrary to us and is absolutely wiped, squeaky clean because he has obeyed and therefore fulfilled the law, and therefore the law is no longer binding. That's what he means by it is fading away. Yes, sir. And so now we are going from the glory of the ministry of death into the glory of the ministry of the Son. We're going from the glory of the ministry of condemnation into the glory of the ministry of reconciliation. The two cannot coexist together. Yes, it's not possible. The price has been paid. Yeah. So when we scream, the cross retired the law, and somebody who not, not, doesn't know they are left from their right spiritually will get up and want to argue. What are you arguing? What are you arguing? Before we even start to answer you, by the time we tell you all these scriptures and you come and say, Christ did not come to abolish the law. First of all, what you're doing is stupid in the sense that you are trying to use a scripture to attack another scripture. Scripture doesn't invalidate scripture. Scripture explains scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. That's why you must rightly divide this word of truth. You can't quote one scripture to counter another. Scripture interprets scripture. You can't mix. You can't mix. I put something on Facebook the other day. People thought I was joking. I said, you want to mix? Buy a deck. <laughs> Ones and twos. Buy a deck. Buy a deck. Leave the pulpit. Because the cross retired the law. To miss that is to miss everything and become a DJ. You can't mix. There's no place for mixing. Put that last verse again up on the screen. Hebrews 8.13. In, in, put it in the message. Hebrews 8.13. By coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf. And there it stays, gathering dust. Amplified. There it is on the shelf. Never to be relevant again. Ever. When God speaks of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And whatever is becoming obsolete, out of use, annulled. 
and growing old is ready to disappear. And old, he fulfilled it and therefore removed it. There can be no mixture. Thank you, Father. I mean, think about it. Why then are you praying out loud when Jesus says, um, when you're praying, don't let anybody hear you. Somebody actually once, once upon a time was, was saying with me, or almost argue with me. You know, so, you know, about giving. Jesus says, you know, your left hand. Should not let your right hand to know what you're going, what you're giving. I say, okay, interesting, nice. How did Paul know that the Corinthian church had a problem with giving if he was not seeing the records? Do you understand? Because he writes to them and tells them, you have many graces. Why are you struggling with this particular grace? Why? He said, when you gather on Sunday, bring, think about it now. Think about it. Think, plan ahead as to what you will bring. He begins to instruct them how to give. He begins to draw examples from the Philippian church and the Macedonian church. He says, look at you. You are supposed to be feeding me. He, now, he makes a very incriminating statement to the Corinthian church. He said, I robbed other churches to come and do ministry among you. Kai, and Corinth was a rich city. Corinth was one of the, the commercial epicenters of the Roman Empire at the time. He says, I robbed other churches to come and do ministry with you. And even their offerings, whatever they were, he was entitled to from them. He said, I didn't take it though. So you not get up and say, we fed Paul. And Paul was here. How did he know? How is he advocating for New Testament giving if it's only Nicodemus that we're giving? So you see, right division of truth is important, right? Right division of truth is important. Right? To what audience was Jesus speaking? How relevant is that cross generationally? How relevant is that on this other side of the cross? What is Paul saying and how is he gleaning that? And how is he applying this? How is it relevant to us now? That's when you're rightly dividing the word of truth. So you must come to the word and allow the word to shape your mindset. Not come to the word with a mindset that the word should, should endorse or justify. Or even, or even correct. Come without a mindset. Let the word form your mindset. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. It's obsolete. It's gone. He replaced it because he fulfilled it. You see, it's, it, we, ha we have to understand that he didn't come and just tell the law, my friend, who needs you, go away. No, he came and stepped up to the law and says, what do you demand of a man? And the law explained to him, to whom the law was written. Because Paul makes very clear, we don't understand scripture. Paul makes very clear and he says, what the law says. It says to them who are under the law. How was Jesus born? Under the law. He was not born as just a baby. He was born as a species of mankind who was born specifically under the law that he might fulfill it. So he was born according to the law. You see New Testament believers saying we are taking our baby to dedicate our baby and name our baby on the eighth day as Jesus was taken to the temple. What, what is that? He was taken to the temple under the law. That's why there was a temple to even take him to in the first place. Oh, come on, talk to me because if you are justifying that, that you are doing this New Testament practice because Jesus was taken to the law, to the temple, then you're justifying calling a physical building today a temple that God actually inhabits. Can you see where we're DJing? So right now you are preaching cross. You are preaching gospel. You are preaching and then... Temple, 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 and that's exactly what we're doing now with 
Christianity. We're mixing. Mixing. Where you don't like it, you remove the base from temple. So now you remove the, the groove and then we become dulling in our senses and you just add more base from the law because that's going to help you bring the money in. And as the law is gathering and it's, you fil- filter out the Twitter from the law and then you bring in, oh yeah, don't worry, there's not just condemnation. To those, take that sweet, right? You bring back the high frequency from the gospel. Chicky, chicky, take that down. And we come to a gathering of the saints and we're not sure where you're teaching from. We're not sure what you're teaching. We're not sure what you're teaching because we're trying to mix stuff. Stuff is fully paid for. But you don't want to cash out and go on and put to good use and make transactions which are benefit with the fullness of what has been paid for. You are helping to advocate for the law that you did not create and that was not created for you. You, you are the one who is fighting to keep the law in force because you were there with Moses on Mount Sinai when he received it. And you saw how cute it was. Oh, see the glory, Shekinah, that Moses saw. When Paul explains that Moses understood that what he saw was the remnant of a glory that was fading. And Moses was sober. He was sober because he was losing a glory that he would not even see the fullness of. So he covered his face. Let me just preserve this small glory that I've seen. Not let me keep it away from the people. Of course, the people made a big deal of it. And were afraid to approach him. But Moses was conserving the little he saw. Because he knew he was passing. Compared to what he saw was coming. Mm-hmm. Are you following me? Mm-hmm. On that mountain that God took Moses to and showed Moses the land. You think it was the land of Israel Moses saw? When God said you will not enter. Oh, come on. Where are my Bible yes, students? What did God show him? The land of what? The land of what? What's the word there? The land of promise, Sean. Who is the promise? What was God showing Moses and saying you're not ready to enter here yet? So you can understand why he felt the way he felt. Moses, no, no, law cannot enter here. There's no place for law in the promise. So you have tried. You have brought them as far. You kept them together. 40 years, you have harnessed them. You have tried to manage them. You have tried to conduct them. You have tried to police them. You have tried to regulate them. Now you have brought them to the promise. What was the change of dispensation? Jordan, once you cross, you are in the promise. The washing of the water by the word, Jordan. Got to Jordan. I said, that's it. That's it, son. That's it. Your job is done. You can't come any further. Now you, Moses, you are fulfilled. Yes. When Moses was fulfilled, what did God do with him? Removed him. It wasn't like God, oh, Moses sinned. Moses, at every point in time, Moses was more, more righteous than the holiest of all of Israel put together. At, at any point in time. In fact, Moses was the reason why God did not break among the Israelites and scatter them. God said, I will use you, Moses, only you alone, and start a brand new race. But the Lord's job was not done. So the Lord continues to struggle and continues to struggle and continues to struggle and continues to struggle and, and bring them and, and bring them and bring them and bring them and get to the point where the promise kicks in because this cannot be obtained by law. Rather. Can only be obtained, and Paul explains that later, only by the promise. What did God show Moses? Say, Moses, see, see the promise. Lift up your eyes and look. See where you cannot go. Not Moses the man. Do you understand? Yeah. Or Moses the system. Moses yeah. the law. Yeah. Yes, sir. Moses the law. Moses the system. 
said, Moses, look, 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 no. You can't go there. There's no space. There's no place for you there. If you cross in there, what am I going to do with you? What am I going to do with you? So, this is as far as you can go. Moses, you've done a great job, but you can go no further. So, you're going to die here, and I, I, God, I'm going to bury you. Who made the first one obsolete? God. Who made Moses obsolete? Who buried Moses? God. What did God bury? The law. In his promissory sense. I'll bury you here. Listen, calm down. Mm-hmm. Calm down. Don't feel like you know. Don't feel like your pastor has taught you all. Don't feel like you teach. Calm down. Calm down. You can't mix. You can't mix. There's no place for mixing. There's no place for mixing. There's no place. There's no place for mixing. You can't mix it. Once you mix it, it becomes another gospel. Totally another gospel. Imagine Moses insisting he must enter. Mm. Or God now feeling, ah, oh, Moses now, but look, Moses, you have served me faithfully. Oh. Mm. Let me reward you small. Do you understand? We are in promise now, but let me not just aspire you just like that yeah. so I can look like I am ungrateful. Let me arrange some small place, you know? One small place for you. You can, just, you can just patch there and live the rest of your days in peace and quiet, happily ever after, and, and reap the fruit of your labor. God took Moses, not because Moses was bad, but because Moses was done. Yeah. And so Paul comes to explain and says, is the law bad? And he says, by no means. Are you following this thing now? Because the law is holy and the law is just and the law is good. Yeah. <laughs> God did not take Moses because Moses was bad. But because Moses was done. Moses was good, but Moses was done. And God did not intend for good to be his ultimate because better was coming. Yes. So Christ comes yes. and in Hebrews, all that is said of Jesus is our better, yes. our promise, founded on better promise, our covenant, yes. founded on better, yes. our better high priest, yes. our better high priest. Christ is our better. Good was not enough. Good was not enough. Christ is our better. He's our yes. better. And when better is here, as good as good was, it's obsolete. As good as good was, it's gone. It's finished. I wore a t-shirt yesterday and Sylvia walks up to me and she says, Papa, your t-shirt has a hole. I said, where? She showed me. I said, yeah, this t-shirt is old now. I don't have many t-shirts. She said, throw it away. I said, okay. <laughs> if you go to my office now, you see. I, yes, yes, I removed it yesterday. I threw it away. It's in the bin. Now somebody brings me five t-shirts today. You know, they haven't brought it yet. Maybe they will. But you bring me five t-shirts today. So, you know, I brought you some five new t-shirts. I'm like, yeah, but this old one, you know, you and I got history. We go way, way back. You know what I mean? You know, we go way, way back. What nonsense? What nonsense, sir? Ah. That's gone. We're done. I mean, you're good and everything. You're, you know, you're, you're good, but we're done. I have a favorite pair of slippers. If you see those slippers, if you see those slippers, they're in my office now. If you see those slippers, oh, me and that, his slippers, we have history. We go way back. The reason why that slippers is still around and nobody can dare to discard it is because till now that I'm speaking to you, no other new dispensation has come up 
to fulfill that covenant and therefore set it aside. Mm. So it's still in force. It's only still in force because a newer covenant that is better has not come. The moment she sends Selah a newer <laughs> covenant that is better than the first, the first one is rendered obsolete. Yes, that's right. Do you understand? Why are you holding on to what is expired when what retired it is here? Yes. You're not living in an era of expectation. You're living in an era of reality. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You are in Moses was shown. You are in what Moses was shown yes, that he sir. couldn't enter. Yes, sir. You are in what Abraham refused to build a house with mortar and bricks mm. because he was chasing after. Be careful that you're not singing what Abraham was singing. Be careful that you're not praying what Moses was praying. Be careful that you're not praying what David was praying. Because you're not them or they needed you. You don't need them. They needed you. To be complete. They needed you. They were hoping to something they didn't have. You have what they were hoping for. You, you have what they were hoping for. You have it. He never built. It was all the wealth Abraham had. Lived in tents. Never said to us. No city called city of Abraham. Can you imagine? No city. No city. No village. No hamlet. Called city of Abraham. Abraham refused to be trained, to be linked to a physical location because he knew that there is a city whose builder and founder is God. And who is that? Not what? Who is that city? Christ. Christ. Because Hebrews now explains to us in the better covenant that you have now come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the what? The city of God. Mount Zion. To Jesus Christ, the firstborn. Yes, sir. So that city was not a location. That city is a person. That city is a person, just like Jerusalem of old is Ishmael. Ishmael was a city of Jebus, right? Jerusalem, as we see in Galatians 4, talking about two covenants. And and Isaac is also a city, because Isaac is a type of Christ. The new Jerusalem, right? The Jerusalem that is from above. So when when Abraham sought a city whose builder and founder was Christ, who was Abraham looking for? Christ is looking to Christ. And so Jesus tells them, the Pharisees and Sadducees, says, ah, your father Abraham longed to see my day. He saw my day and was glad. Since I'm not going to be here when Jesus arrives, there's no need trying to settle. Do you understand? There's no need trying to build anything. No need, no, there's no need. It's, it's pointless. Why did Moses start to negotiate with God like Hezekiah when he got to Hezekiah? Pack up and it's time to go. Why did Moses negotiate? He was 120, the Bible says, and his eyes did not grow dim. So most, do you understand? Yes, sir. His eyes were not dim. He was not feeble. He didn't negotiate. His job was done. His job was done. And God was pleased with what he did. Moses, if, if God killed Moses because God was angry at Moses, Moses would not have showed up handing over Jesus in Matthew 17. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Yes, because Moses would have yes, been sir. in hell. Yes, sir. If God killed Moses for disobedience. Yes, sir. For the fact that, oh, I told you to, to speak to the rock. Exactly. You now went and struck it, so now I kill you. <laughs> if that was the reason, then it would not have been Moses and, and Elijah like flanking it. Jesus. Yes, sir. No. He had run his course. He did it well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He did it well. God didn't kill Moses because Moses was bad. He removed him because he was done. Don't put back what God removed. Don't put back what God removed. 
Don't pull back what God removed. Malako sopaladiando sishidabalaha. You can't mix. You can't mix dispensations. You can't mix the law and the gospel. You can't. You can't. Then we took time to also kill one demon spirit last week. So you can't mix the gospel and traditions of men. Yeah? Wow. Philosophia. Sayings from your village. You say, save it for your town's meeting. <laughs> save it for Our people say. No, no, no. If it's not our people here that are saying, then there's no saying. First Peter 2.10. First Peter 2.10. Let's go from verse 9. Everybody knows verse 9. People don't pay attention to verse. You know, it's, it's dangerous to pick one verse in scripture and think you know it, you know. And you have no idea what came before that verse and what comes after that verse. You don't care. You just pick one verse and isolate it. First Peter 2.9. I need verse 10, but let me show you verse 9 that you know very well and have no clue what verse 10 says. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See how there's a semicolon there? That verse never ended there. From Sunday school, you learned it now. You are a chosen generation, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, a peculiar people to comfort the praises of him who has called us out of darkness, out of darkness, out of darkness, into his marvelous light, into his marvelous light. If you're not around my age, you'll not know what I just did. Except if you're coming from like one of them old time, give me that old time religion, give me that old time religion, give me that old we know, everybody knows it. We are a church generation, we are a priest of the holy nation. Go for the show, the priest of him was caused out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we stopped where the scripture did not stop. Mm. Out of, all us into his marvelous light. Continue and see that light. Verse 10. Who once were not a people. This is what he called you into. But now are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, where shall I go from? Let's go from verse 11 for context. You can understand the whole thing about mixing traditions of men. When we say that your people's sayings don't matter in this kingdom. You can understand how you cannot be a believer and be a bibio. You cannot be a believer and be fulani. You, can, you cannot. People won't tell it to you because of how sensitive it is. But that's why we are so divided. And so scattered and so marginalized along ethnic lines. And we come to church and today is Abade. Today is Igbo service. So the other day is our Ibibio. Today is multi-traditional service. Who, who sent you? We must celebrate our diversity. Who sent you? He came to unite us and make us homogenous. He came to make us one people yes. out of multiple different peoples. Yes. And if every people had its culture, when we merged and became one people, we took on one culture. Yes, sir. Why doesn't Odudua Republic have their own uh, constitution? Why doesn't Biafra have its own constitution? Why doesn't the, the jihadist Republic of, of Northern Nigeria have their own constitution? Why doesn't the Bini Kingdom have its own constitution? Why doesn't the Calabar kingdom under the Obong have its own constitution? We, what was the first thing that needed to cement this thing together? One new constitution that superseded everything else. Does that make sense? You might copy, behead somebody's head or burn somebody for witchcraft, but it's against the law of the constitution 
of the Federal Republic of Nigeria because that should supersede every individual interest group. And what makes you feel like you can become born again and run the scriptures along the same lines as the constitution of your people? Are you getting what I'm teaching you? That's the confusion. That's the confusion. What makes you think you can become become born again, become a brand new people group, receive a new constitution and want to mix it with the constitution of your village people? You and your village people are the problem of the church. That's the truth. I mean, something like tribalism should not be heard in church. And listen to me clearly. Let me announce this. There's pastors watching. When you say you're fighting tribalism in in the church, tribalism cannot be dealt with by giving equal honor to different tribes. Tribalism can only be dealt with by detribalizing the church so that it is one tribe, the tribe of Christ. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You will, I speak prophetically, quote me anywhere. You will never achieve anything like tribal equality in the church of Christ. Quote me. You will never achieve it. You will never achieve it. Have all kinds of conferences, have all kinds of seminars, invite all kinds of keynote speakers to speak. You will not arrive at tribal equality in the church of God because it's not designed for that in the first place. The local church is implanted to become its own tribe that did not exist before, hence other individual tribes were thriving. Are you following me? But now we, you were, who were not a people has now become a people. Ephesians 2.11 Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh Switch to, to TPT. I've not checked it in TPT before, but let's see it. We have become his poetry. 11, 11. Or does it start from verse 10? Okay. We have become his poetry. We created people, go on, that will fulfill his destiny that God has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Okay. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we will do to fulfill. That's Ephesians 2, 10. 11. So don't forget. 11. Don't forget that you were not born as Jews and we're uncircumcised. Circumcision itself is just a work of man's hands, right? You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws. Oh, Gentile, you were never under the law. You were foreigners to Israel's incredible heritage. You were without the covenants and prophetic promises of the Messiah, the promised hope, and you were without God. 12. Yet, look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. 14. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. See the next line. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Keep going. See verse 15, please, by yourself. I had never seen in the TPT before. See verse 15 in the TPT, Ephesians 2.15. Ethnic hatred has been resolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. I mean, how much more clear could that be? The legal code 
that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity. Jew and non-Jew fused together. 16. Two have now become one. And we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ through his crucifixion. Hatred in this context, ethnic hatred, died. And he came and preached peace to you. How much clearer could that be? Look back to verse 14, run it in the message. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at distance. Think of the Berlin Wall when it came down. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separately by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death, 16, on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility, 17. Christ came and preached peace to you outside us and peace to us inside us. We are a completely new race. So even as a believer now who is saying that the gospel came to me as a Gentile, you cannot claim to be a Gentile anymore. You are not a Gentile believer. You are a believer who was once a Gentile. You, you, You understand? You're not a Christian Jew. You are a believer who was once a Jew. We're not Gentiles. Because he dissolved Jews, dissolved Gentiles, and created a new race. Why are you calling yourself a Gentile? I am not a Gentile. I'm a completely new species of of humanity. Completely new species of divinity. Completely new race that never existed before. And in that race, we don't see ethnic division. The blood that flows in our veins is the same. The blood that flows in our veins is the same. That scripture was Ephesians 2 from verse 11 right down to 17. Ephesians 2, 11 to 17. Before that, I think I read 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You can't mix the word with human traditions and philosophies. And then we come to church and we have, today we have Yoruba day, tomorrow we have Yoruba day, we have... He broke all that down. We celebrate who we are in him. Yeah. Who we are in him. He's not good enough for you. Not everything else you celebrate is idol worship. If it's not good enough that we celebrate our oneness in him. Every day is Jesus' day. Yeah. Every day is tribe Christ Thanksgiving service. Yeah. Every day is humanity Jesus. Every day yes, is post-cross yes, clan. Yes, Every day yes, we are rocking our, our new tribe. In whatever language is convenient for us. 
If it's pidgin English that all of us speak commonly, we speak com pidgin English. You understand what I'm saying? If we're in a place where our common language is, is, is Mandarin, we speak Mandarin. If our common language is French, we speak French. If our common language is English, we speak English. But that's, that's it. We communicate in a language that everybody understands. Otherwise, we are a people of heaven. Same tribal, same tribe. Different families like this. Different, different, different nucleus, nucleuses. Different cells, you understand? Like sleeper cells in terrorism. Different, but it's one tribe. It's one tribe. It's what is one tribe. There's no, there should be no difference. One Lord. Hey, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. I think it's Ephesians 4. Hallelujah. Let's go from verse 1. I need verse, I need verse. I need verse 3 and f 3 to 5, but it will go from verse 1. Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, this is the New King James, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Switch here to the TPT if it will let you in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 3. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. Four, being one body and one spirit as you were all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Verse five, for the Lord God is one and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father. New King James says, one Lord and Father of all. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So you realize that a lot of our problems as the local church actually happen or emerge along philosophical lines, philosophia. Chasing of knowledge outside the revelation of God in Christ. Traditions of men. What's the word for that? Paradosis, remember? Chasing after stuff that divide us rather than bring us together. Hallelujah. So if you're here and you are listening to my voice and you are Ibibio, you are Anang, you are Ibo, you are Yoruba, and you hold that with more pride than you hold your Jesus tribe, you're not a believer. You're not a believer. If you're more proud to be Southerner, you know what I mean? More proud to be northerner than you are proud to be a Jesuser. I'm not a believer. Jesus is your tribe. Yes. Yes, sir. Do you understand? The cross is your identity. Yes. Not that silly thing you wear on your neck. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> the cross is your identity. The blood of Jesus is your DNA. Yes. That's the rest. When they poke you, it's his blood that should flow. Not what we've made it in the flesh. Believers haven't understood that the dispensation changed. We left this thing. We stepped above this thing. We stepped above this thing. You can't mix the word with human traditions and philosophies. You can't mix the word in the name of balance. Remember that? Yes, Dealt with that orthotomio, 2 Timothy 2.15. We also stopped off last, last week as saying you cannot negotiate. Remember? You can't negotiate. I gave you examples from scripture. Eve, right? 
in Genesis 3. I showed you Daniel and the three Hebrew boys in, in, in Daniel 3 as well, what he said, what they said. We're not careful. <laughs> we don't have time to answer you in this thing. Three chapters later, three chapters later, we see, oh, Holy Spirit, there's such a surge in my spirit. There's such a surge in my spirit. I feel like we just released something that we're not, we're not, we don't know the fullness of what has happened. I feel like that very strongly, very strong surge, very strong surge. Thank you, Father. Such a great surge. Can I proceed? Daniel and the lions in Daniel 6. I think I ended up with sharing Jesus' temptations as well in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Yeah? And I, and I, and I explained to you guys that Satan knew who Jesus was. And, and he was just somehow hoping that Jesus did not know. Or that he had at least lost sight of who he was. I showed the apostles as well, beaten, flogged. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. It's a long read. Ooh, hallelujah. There's such a surge in my spirits. Such a great surge. Acts chapter 4. I'll just read very quickly. I'm just, um, it's a complete narrative, so I, I really can't skip it. We just have to read the, the whole thing through. Yeah? Um, give us the NLT. Hallelujah. Acts 4 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest. I will not speak much about it, I'll just read the narrative so you can see it. The captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees, these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So again, you see that I've told you over and over, God is not afraid of a big church. Yeah, don't let anybody make you feel like because it's big, it's not God. The fact that it's big doesn't make it God. The fact that it's small doesn't make it Satan. The fact that it's small doesn't make it God either. <laughs> and the fact that it's big doesn't mean it's of the devil. Right? The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. And as the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest, they brought in the two disciples and demanded... By what power or in whose name have you done this? Okay, this, this, you see that in, in John 3 about the guy who was lame by the gate called beautiful. Yeah, look at us. Yeah, that's the guy who walks around leaping, jumping and praising God, right? Okay, so by whose um, name have you done this? Eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that your builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. King James says, neither is there salvation in any other. Okay, God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. So you don't need Bible school to understand the scriptures. I mean, go by all means, but you must also make sure that you're going to a reputable bond because it's how you can go in as a believer and come out as an atheist. I know what I'm saying. They had no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. 16. What should we do with these men? They said to each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. 17. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. Please stop there. Look up. Please. I, I, just, I, don't, I want to move as I'm led. Stay in 17. See these guys conferring and saying that it is not in dispute that they worked a miracle. Our problem is not the miracle. They can walk whatever miracle they want to walk. Just don't teach the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Isn't that where we are today? Yes, where we are. That's where we are. I mean, there's no dispute. Everybody in Jerusalem knows that they healed. I mean, the lame man is here. We can see him. But our problem is not that you heal the lame man. Heal as many lame men as you walk. Heal as many. Just don't preach the gospel. Because miracles are not the gospel. Yes, sir. The world is not afraid of miracles. They do them. Yeah. The world, world is not afraid of signs and wonders. They do them. They are afraid of somebody in whose mouth is nothing but Christ and him crucified. That, that's what they have a problem with. Yeah. Nothing scares the devil more than the gospel being proclaimed. Yeah. That's why every believer is an evangelist. Every believer has the duty, call of duty. That's why it's you that is equipped to do the work of ministry. That's the scariest thing. It's not your prayer. But that there is a man in whose lips and heart is the gospel. What is it written? It is written. Romans 10, quoting Deuteronomy. What is it said about the word? The word is in your heart. It is in your mouth. This word of faith, what we preach, the apostles said. Go back to 17, loopy from the beginning. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them to not speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. 18. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach. The word there is preach or teach. Remember I taught you that? Yeah. Preach or teach in the name of Jesus. I said no negotiation, right? See verse 19, bold, illiterate men, no special training in the scriptures. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Doesn't that sound like the three Hebrew boys? Yes, sir. Listen, the disposition of anyone who has encountered God by the illumination of his word is that they do not negotiate with strange voices. Don't. Fall, fall forward, press, crush. Paul says in persecutions, in, in having nothing, possessing everything, in, in stumblings, in shipwrecks, in, in prisons, in beatings. Take it. 
Count it all joy because you know whom, in him in whom you have believed. A Christ-conscious believer who is bound by and yielded to the word of God as revealed in Christ only does not negotiate with the doctrine of demons. You don't. See, see chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. I'll read you another story. So listen to me. These are, not, these are not the days of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. These are the days of your servant Moses. Lie! It's not. These are not them days, oh. These are not. Be careful. These are, the, these are not the days of your servant Moses. Moses has retired from business. Yes, sir. It's not the days of Elijah. No, 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 no. These are the days of the son. Yes, sir. Have you noticed in that, in that song, there's no, these are the days of Jesus, the Christ, revealing the light to the world. We will write it again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because how can you sing these are the days of Moses and Elijah and then say, behold, he comes? Who is coming? <laughs> <laughs> Who's coming? Who's coming? He who is coming has come. He came to his own. The problem is his own knew him not. Is that not so? He came to his own. He all knew him not. Who's coming? That's why I said, this is me. If it's, if it's 12 songs, I'll be singing every day till he returns or calls me home. I'm fine. All those, those, those mystical worship leaders, I've done it all. Oh, me, me, like this. Go and, go and ask of me. Oh. Me and I, we have history. We go way, way back. Go on, go on, find me. Watch Jesus. But none of that grows a believer in the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. None of it. I'm telling you now, I've done it all. None of it. None of it. Oh, we have done it. Come and stand to lead worship. And you start to lead. As soon as you start to sing, people start to cry. And you feel like, yes, Lord, this is what I prayed for. I prayed for fire in the room. And you see it. You see it. Stay in the place. of. We still pray. But we see the sun. That's not what grows a believer. What grows a believer is being rooted and grounded in the word of his truth. You can't negotiate. You can't. You can't negotiate. They're not afraid of miracles. Though. Do it. Do it. You can't negotiate. Nobody's afraid of miracles, though. Nobody. I'm telling you the truth. Nobody says, don't, don't, when you come, sir, please. Sir, please, when you come, please, don't work any miracle. Don't let any lame to see. Don't let any blind to walk. Don't let any dumb to hear. No, no, nobody's afraid of that. Nobody's afraid of that. But that you, the word of God is on your mouth at a cutting edge level. Especially you young people in this dispensation. Nobody can treat you as a Passover if you carry the word of truth. Nobody. The Christ-conscious believer is bound by and yielded to the word of God in the face of Christ alone. Nobody. I, when I wake up and I'm praying for you guys, I, I remind myself what you guys will be in five years' time. I, I, I picture the people I'm raising now, married with children, having their businesses, having jobs, having opportunities all over the world, and equipped with this gospel. Equipped with this gospel. I see it. That's what wakes me up every morning. It's not because, oh, you're so nice. No, it's because we are... We are, we are convinced, as he says, of them, of better things concerning you. Do you understand? We are teaching and equipping you now because of what we see God doing in you in the future. To the measure that you yield today. Because you see, you're running around now for me 24. You no know, nice trim waist 
and ties, nice six-pack. Uncle, look at me and remind yourself you're not still like that. Be instructed that the time is coming in your life where good looks will not pay your bills. Be instructed that the time is coming in your life where only your persuasion of who you are in Christ can sustain your family. Yes, sir. Your wife will look at you with your six-pack and walk away. Your children will look at you with all your sense and turn against you if you're not rooted and grounded in the word now. Yes, now. You will not remain this age, oh. Don't think that because you didn't use 2020, you, are not, you have not gotten older. Do you understand? <laughs> you have not spent... <laughs> yeah, do you understand what I'm saying? You have not, you have not used the year. <laughs> so you have no, you have not aged. You're waiting to use. You're not, you're not, you're not aged. You're not gotten older because you didn't use. What have you used 2024? You didn't do anything. So you're not, you're not, don't deceive yourself. You will not stay this age. You will not stay this height. You will not stay this size forever. In the next three, four years, you realize how drastically your priorities have changed. Yes, sir. Then you realize that whether you like it or not, there's growing up for you to do. And at that point, what is now the demand that is placed on you is the demand of how much maturity you had grown into at your place of processing. That's when it begins to matter for you. When you are 30 and you realize there's a calling of God upon your life. You're 28, you're 27. And you're growing into stuff. You realize, wow, I have to do this. Then you begin to, that's when you remember Pav and be thankful. That's when you remember, you thank God for these times because these times, I'm speaking, these, these times will be the most important pivotal times for some of you. Some of you who are listening to me now as part of our local church will never have another teacher that will teach you God's word like this. Because once you leave here, you'll be the one that will be getting demand on to teach people the word. Are you following what I'm yes, saying? Sir. Yeah. You, you stay connected to me, of course, hopefully, you know, by God's grace. But then as you're growing, you're growing into your own sense of responsibility and calling. Because ministry is yours to do, not mine. And you'll not understand until later when you're in a place where you're the only light shining. You're in a marriage, you're in a relationship, you're in a school, you're in a business, you're in a city, you're in a country. Where the little you thought you knew is now the ultimate that somebody else needs to come into light. That's when you'll appreciate the training of God's word that you're going through. And that's when you determine for yourself whether or not you will negotiate. Because negotiating is easy. Just a little compromise, you know, it's not, not so much. Just don't preach this thing so much. Go back to Acts 5. 17, I believe. Acts 5. When NLT and when verse 17. Oh, we're starting the narrative, all right? So let's go from verse 12. Hallelujah. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. I mean, I could stay here and preach because you see that unbelievers were afraid to join the church, but the Lord was adding believers to the church. The church has always been a gathering of believers, not a place to invite unbelievers after giving them a flyer. <laughs> As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Keep going. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, they were sad, you see, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. 
But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, the angel told them, go back to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple again, where they were always used to meet, as they were told. And immediately, somebody say immediately. And immediately began teaching. Immediately. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, the full assembly of the structure of religion in their day. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. Because obviously, angel had broken them out. So they returned to the council and reported. The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading, the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it will all end. 25. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles. In this case, rearrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Stone being one of the most dangerous weapons of war in that day and age, in the Stone Age. <laughs> And then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict, this is the high priest speaking now. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Can you see the problem? Go back to verse 12. We're in 28. Please go back to verse 12. See 28. See verse 12. The apostles were performing many miracles. Are you seeing this? performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting. Right? 13. No one else did to them. 14. And yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord crowds of both men and women. 15. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats and healed. Right? The council ain't got a problem with you depopulating the place of sick people. They ain't got a problem with le less lame people, less mad people, less blind people. That's all well and good. We ain't got a problem with that. Our problem is we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. We gave you gagging orders as far as the gospel is concerned. Do whatever you want to do. Just don't say Jesus. Don't say the cross. Don't preach Christ or him crucified. Teach anything else. Are you following Teach anything else. Teach relationship seminars. Teach business seminars on how to create wealth. Teach all you want to teach in church. or Give whatever motivational speech about seven ways to deal with your psyche and, and 24 ways to attract the, the best of God. Do whatever you want to do. Just don't teach Jesus. Does that sound familiar to anybody listening? Strict instructions. Do whatever you like. Don't preach Jesus. Don't preach Jesus. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem, hallelujah, with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death, but you are responsible now. In other words, the more you preach about Jesus, the, the, the worse it makes us look. See 29, and that's where I'm ending on this point. 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, 
We must obey God rather than any human authority. People gathered to speak as representatives of God. And the apostles knew that it was familiar spirits trying to speak in God's name. Because you cannot speak in God's name devoid of the revelation of God in Christ. High council was high council of who? Mbok. Priests. Priest of who? Who were they priests of? Whose law? So whose priests were they? God's priests, son. They were not Satan's priests. Or Madiohar's priests. They were not Shongo's priests. They were the high council. Do you understand? High council of churches. As represented in that day. The high priest. That's the person that every year will go and offer sacrifices for people to God. Gather these people and say, teach anything you want of God. Teach anything you want of faith. Teach anything you want of ethics. Teach anything you want of relationship. Just don't teach about this man. Because when you do that, you convict us. Don't teach this man. Teach whatever you want. Just leave Jesus out of it. Isn't that where the church is today? That's why I said that there's two things. The Peter and apostles did not teach the Old Testament. They taught Christ from the Old Testament. He's not a message in the scriptures. He is the message of the scriptures. There can be no negotiation. No negotiation. I have to finish this next week. <laughs> when I mean finish this, finish this point. Do you understand? The Christ conscious believer is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for a release tonight. Thank you for such an outflow of your word tonight. Such an outflow of your word. So much has gone out. So much has gone out. We thank you that you're able to amplify that in the hearts of your people. As many as have listened to this, as many as will listen to it at later times, through watch parties and through replays, and even online and through the podcast and iTunes, as many as are listening to this, at any point in time they're listening to this, you will amplify it in their hearts. You'll cause these words to become spirit and life, as you promised. That the hearts of people will engage with this. That their consciousness of you in the light of Christ will, in, will increase, will abound, will multiply. And that as we deploy this consciously into every area of our lives, we see results. We have the benefits. We are the better off for it. We are richer for it. We are safer for it. We are more secure for it. We enjoy better protection for it. We enjoy preservation for it. We come into the fullness of all God did for us in Christ on account of our yieldedness and obedience to your word. That when you speak, we hear twice in the name of Jesus. When that we understand that we understand, we, we come into the consciousness and the awareness that your doing is in your speaking. So if anything will happen in our lives, it will happen according to what you have said. And so we dispose ourselves, we, we are given our disposition, our natural inclination is towards what you speak. 
in the name of Jesus. Our natural inclination is towards your word. Everything you say, how you say it, what you mean, when you say it, how it applies to us and what we should do. That we will never be found wanting on account of not having been mindful of and conscious to Christ with regards to the instructions your word gives us with regards to the reproof that your word gives us, with regards to the chastisements that your word gives us, with regards to the illumination that your word gives us, but that it comes alive in us and we come into understanding. And while all of that is happening, here we are giving you thanks. Here we are giving you praise. Here we are giving you glory. Here we are blessing your name. Here we are basking in the fullness of all we are in you. Here we are thanking you with open and grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.